that has one of the most archaic sayings in it. It is a fascinating study in Matthew 22. It's a phrase <clears throat> and a happening that seems out of place. And tonight we are going to try to tackle it. <laughs> we're, going, we're going to do our best to try to tackle it tonight and make some sense out of it and then see if it is not applicable to us and if it's not applicable to the gospel as well. While you're turning there, it's good to see Bishop recovering from knee surgery, and he is going to be preaching Sunday morning. So praise God on Pentecost Sunday. Amen. Hopefully, right? You keep doing your exercises there, Elder. Amen. It's also good to see Gage Blankenship step in here. Gage, it's good to have you in the house of God with us tonight. And everybody else, I'm just thankful to be in a place of worship. Hallelujah. To magnify and worship God. Well, are you ready to read this passage of Scripture? Now, this is a real, if, if I can say it this way, this is a real humdinger. <clears throat> All right. If you have your Bible, say amen. All right. Chapter 22, verse number 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found. This is a telling statement, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. <laughs> then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm just kidding. It's gnashing of teeth, but every time I come across that word, gnashing just sounds really, really good. And then verse 14 says, for many are called, hmm, but few are chosen. Are you thankful tonight to be in the house of God? God's put his hand on you and he's called a lot of people, but ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the house tonight, God has called you and there is a, there's a significant difference. And so this, this to me seems very odd. This has plagued theologians for centuries. Go out in the highways, invite everybody in because the, the original guests are not worthy and everybody comes in and then there's a man that's somehow speechless because he doesn't have a wedding garment. So what's going on? My title tonight is going to be The Man Who Crashed the Wedding. The, <laughs> the Man Who Crashed the Wedding. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your word and we pray that tonight... You would strengthen us because there is so much to be said from this passage of Scripture, and it relates to us standing here, sitting here in the house of God tonight. I pray that you would direct us, guide us, that your blessing would be upon everybody that is listening, and we ask these things in your wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. This is a, a part of of a group of teachings of Jesus. It's important for us to recognize that. The context of this passage comes from a larger context. So you can't just pick out this part 
you have to look at the full context, which starts in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's been in the area uh, of the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Galilee, and he makes his way into Jerusalem. He comes to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, and he sends some of his disciples to go get a find a donkey so that he can ride in on, and they do what he is told. He directs them. They bring a donkey and its colt, and they lay their clothes on the donkey, and he sits on them and makes his way into Jerusalem. There's a very large crowd that gathers together, and they start shouting, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was on an uproar, and they were worshiping, and they were shouting, and they were praising God. The crowds that gathered together, this made such a commotion, they asked, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This caused a great commotion as he's making his way into the city. It caused people to listen, stop, wonder, ask questions. What is going on? As Jesus makes his way into the temple, he walks into the temple and he throws out all of those buying and selling. He throws the tables of the money changers over and the doves. He, he comes into the house of God and he stands there and he says emphatically, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. This is connected to his triumphal entry and entering into the temple and setting things right. In the house of God tonight, we must be careful that we don't mismanage the house of God. This house is a house of worship. This house is a house of prayer. We have to make sure that our first priority is that the sanctuary and the house of God, and in fact, the entire piece of property is dedicated to God's goodness and his greatness and the kingdom of God, and nothing should supersede that action, he says, you've mismanaged my house. So he enters into the temple, and he has several parables and confrontations with the chief priests. They are rankled, obviously, by his popularity, and they interrupt his discourse and demand that he give one good reason why he has the right to open his mouth on their turf. This is one of the great lines that take place in the Messiah. By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? So there is a confrontation that takes place here. And Jesus launches into three parables, one of which we read a part a portion of it, partial uh, parable of it in our text. There are three that are interconnected. I want to go through each of the two very quickly so that we can make sure that we have this in context. He talks about the first parable, which is the parable of the two sons. He comes to one of the sons, 
A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. The first son says, I don't want to. So he goes to the second son. He said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And the second son says, I will do it. Well, what happens is the first son changes his mind and he goes and works in the vineyard where the second son who said he would, he doesn't go work in the vineyard. And Jesus takes that opportunity to say tax collectors and prostitutes are changing their mind and they're entering into the kingdom of God, but the religious leaders are not. They're not they didn't follow John the Baptist when he preached to them. They didn't change their mind. They didn't alter their course. They were too good. They were too steep in tradition. But there's prostitutes and tax collectors that have changed their mind and they have said the kingdom of God is more important than anything else. I'm thankful tonight that the message is going to whomsoever that will change their mind and say, I've tried a lot of things and nothing has worked. I'm going to follow Jesus and be directed by him. I'm thankful that it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute or were a prostitute, even if you were as evil as an old tax collector, you still have opportunity to receive the message of God, the anointing of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. God's reaching to everybody. That was the first one. Then he launched into a second one. And he said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press, built a watchtower, leased it to tenant farmers. Later, he sent his servants to collect his fruit. When the tenant farmers saw the servants coming, they killed the servants. So the man was very chagrined by that action. And so he sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he said, I'll, I'll do this. I'll send my son because they will respect my son and he will be able to reap the benefits of the harvest. Well, the tenant farmers said, this is the heir. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus said, what will he do to those farmers? He will completely destroy those terrible men and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. This is speaking directly to the Jews because they were the tenant farmers. They mistreated the servants that came to reap the fruit from the farm. All the prophets that came, they were mistreated and they were killed. And so finally, the son goes to the tenant farmers and he's not received. Jesus is not received. There's a confrontation and they want to, they want to catch him. They want to kill him. They want to destroy him and remove him. And so what's going to happen? Well, he's going 
going to take the rights from the tenant farmers and he's going to give it to somebody else that will operate the farm and the vineyard and yield its fruit the way that it's supposed to be. I'm thankful that God said, I know that you're just an ornery old Gentile. I recognize that you come from afar and you don't have the pedigree and the finances and the nationality, and but I'm coming to give it to somebody that's going to recognize the value of the vineyard. That's you and that's me. We were not born into Jewish lineage, but Jesus said, I'm going to give the vineyard to somebody that appreciates what I'm doing, that appreciates the power of God, that appreciates the Son of God that has manifested himself in the flesh, and he comes to bring life and redemption to people that are marginalized in society, that are on the fringes of society. I'm going to transplant them. They're going to take over the vineyard, and they're going to produce fruit. I'm thankful that I'm in a vineyard that God has planted me in. It has a watchtower, that has a well, that has a wall that's producing fruit for the kingdom of God. Amen. It's a good foundation. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, have you not heard the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eye. The very thing that you should be established on, you've rejected it. But what you've rejected has become the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Hey, the world can reject him, but I recognize him for who he is. And who he is is the chief cornerstone. I'm not building my life on shifting sand. I'm not building my life on a foundation that is not stable let the world reject him but we the people of God are saying this is a firm foundation hallelujah I'm going to build going to build my life on it amen whosoever is thrown on that rock will be broken to pieces, but on whomsoever it falls, it shall shatter him. Well, you got a couple options there. Amen. You can fall on it and be broken. That's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes what we need is a humbling and a breaking. That's what repentance is. <laughs> Break me and humble me so that you can mold me and fashion me into a vessel of honor, right? And, and the other option is if you resist that, the rock's going to fall on you and it's going to crush you. There's going to be a judgment that comes. So what position are you going to take tonight? Fall on the rock or have the rock fall on you? I want to fall on the rock. <laughs> I want to fall on the rock. Amen. Well, that was the second parable. And then he said to them, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. They obviously knew that he was speaking about them, and so they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds. And so Jesus spoke the third parable. 
So all of these are connected. It has to do with Jesus coming to his own and his own received him not. And so he used parables to describe this coming. And in the process of that coming, he reveals in those that I'm, I'm calling not just a Jewish nationality or identity, but the gospel is going to reach not only just the Jews, but it's going to reach beyond the Jews to all the world, including the Gentiles. And that's what the gospel message is. The church is comprised of all peoples. This was difficult because their identity was so aligned with God's action in the Old Testament that they couldn't see that this was an opportunity to see the promise of Abraham fulfilled. What was the promise of Abraham? I'm going to make your descendants as sand of the seashore and stars of the sky. This was the opportunity to see that in its complete fulfillment. They couldn't imagine that. They couldn't see that. Hey, you know what's great is the kingdom of God is for people that may not look like you. And I'm so thankful. Man, if everybody looked my, like me, this would be a boring place. But thank God, God is looking for people that don't look like me. Bishop has a great story. When he went to China, he got off the plane, was walking around in China. I mean, can you imagine? He is 6'7". Brother Booker is with him, and he's 6'6". Everybody else that's with them in the party are just normal people like us. And they get off, and this Chinese, Chinese guy looks at him and says, Ooh, all look alike. Ooh, all look alike. And so he turned around and said, No, ooh, all look alike. Ooh, all. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not for people that just look like me. We're in big trouble if we don't recognize that. I believe God's judgment will be upon us if we think everybody has to look just like I am, come from the same background, have the same status. No, God, God opens up the door to everybody, and he says this gospel message is for everybody. You could come from the west side, the east side, the north side, the south side. It doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is are you going to fall on the rock or is the rock going to crush you? This church is going to preach that there is opportunity for everybody and we're better off if you're coming from a different background if you're coming from a different language if you're coming from a different race we're better as the church praise God we need to all clap our hands and thank God for that fact that is a fact hallelujah hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord and so he enters into this last parable. In response to their opposition, he says the kingdom is going to be taken from you. And it's going to be given to a nation that's going to bring forth the fruits thereof. And then he launches into the parable that we read partially. It's about a wedding feast, but it's an interesting one. This one has to do with the king and his son. Some ornery invitees, some cold-blooded murder, the destruction of cities, and a ragtag group of afterthought guests. The chief priests in this parable that we start with 
He sent his servants to summon those invited to the banquet. This was a wedding banquet. But they didn't want to come. They didn't want to come. And he sent out other servants and said, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, fattened cattle have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. They didn't want to show up. They paid no attention, went away. One went to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Goodness. People like to gather when there's food, usually. That usually gathers a crowd. Put all this together, this wedding banquet in this parable. Somebody has to go to the farm. Somebody has to do this. Somebody has to do that. They don't want to come. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people. Come and dine. When God opens up opportunity to feast at his table, I don't want to reject him. I want to accept the invitation. <laughs> Man, there's nothing like a feast at the Father's house. They, were, they, they, they declined the invitation. Thanks, but no thanks. We've got other things. And as a matter of fact, the people that are coming out to give the invitation, we're going to treat them and abuse them and kill them. Well, this makes the king very, very upset and angry. And so he was enraged. He sent out his troops and he killed those murderers and he burned down their city. Then he told his servants, if they don't want to come, I want you to go out into the highways and into the byways. I want you to invite everybody. And so they do. And there's a telling phrase in there, both good and bad. In other words, make the invitation to everybody. Let there be no, well, now, wait a minute. You're not on the, the guest list. Make it to where it's for everybody. You just go out and you invite everybody. And so everybody comes in and the wedding party is gathered together. The guests are all there. It is filled with guests. And then right in the middle of all of this, the king shows up and he sees a man that is there. And he says to the man, how did you get in here? You don't have a wedding garment on. And the man looks at him and is speechless. And then the reaction is he's bound hand and foot and he's cast out. And the scripture said into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the narrative ends with this kick, and, and these pieces don't, don't quite seem to go together. The chief priests and the Pharisees, we know, they lost, they lost their place at the royal buffet. And so the king invites all of these people, both good and bad. And then there's some tension here because there's something that has to do with the wedding garment. Most likely, it is not completely known, but scholars will say most likely... The wedding garment was something that you wore when you were going to something of importance. And if you wouldn't wear those types of clothes, then it would be like underdressing to an event. And it would be an offensive sign that the guest 
is oblivious to the significance of the invitation. You don't have the wedding garment on. You're in here. You've been invited here, but you haven't taken uh, time to consider what you're participating in. And so this would explain the king's swift action, and it would bring us back to the point of the parable. Jesus said that the kingdom is going to be taken away from the Jewish leaders. It's going to be given to a people producing fruit. The wedding feast is an open invitation, but there's a dress code. Everybody is welcome to the table, but the table changes us. Oh, I'm so thankful that old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this is my understanding of what is going on in this cryptic passage of Scripture. The invitation is for everybody. Anybody can come. But when you come to the house of God, God's intention is for you to bear fruit. And in order for you to bear fruit, you got to change some things in your life. You got to put a different garment on. You got to turn away from the old things and say, I'm thankful to be at the feast, but I know that the table that is prepared changes me and there is a new garment that I've got to put on. I'm going to put on a new garment. It's not going to be a garment of doubt and fear and dysfunction, but it's going to be a garment of praise. My righteousness is as filthy rags, but he gives to me a new garment of righteousness. And so the invitation is to everybody, but you got to put some things on in order to be fruit bearing in the king's house. God has called you, but he's done more than call you. He wants to choose you. And he wants to use you. The table changes us. It's a change of clothes. If it doesn't, then we're not truly guests. We are like the man that crashes the wedding. Every once in a while, there are people that come and we invite everybody. Thank God there are people even that stand at the door. And if people feel uncomfortable, they say, you come as you are because it doesn't matter. You come and celebrate and rejoice with us. I'm thankful for that because the invitation is to everybody. But... By the same token, we, we would be in a serious heap of trouble if we didn't preach this gospel message is to change and transform a life. Some of us sitting on these church pews here tonight are individuals that have changed dramatically because the table has changed us. That doesn't mean we keep people out. We invite everybody in. But by the same token, we want there to be a transformation in somebody's life, and this is what Jesus is driving at. Bring everybody in, good and bad, but the individual that crashes the wedding has missed the opportunity to recognize the value of being at the feast with the king. So there needs to be some transformation in our life. We're like a man that crashes a wedding when we only come and reap the benefits of God's goodness, but not the change that he requires of us. Praise God. I'm telling you, this is one of the problems 
in Christendom today is everybody wants to act the way they've always acted, be the way they've always been, and not change. God calls you out of that. I was talking to somebody today. Sometimes when people come to the house of God, they are so steeped in dysfunction that it is, I told somebody today, it is a miracle if they ever get out of it. It's not something I do or anybody else can do because they are so steeped in it. There, there's, there's this and that and there's this warrant and then you got to do this and then you miss this class and you got to go over here to take care of that. You got to do this and in the midst of all of that, you've got children involved and you got addictions and you got all this stuff. It is an absolute mess. And if a person is able to get out of that pit for which they have dug themselves. The only way that's ever going to happen is a miraculous work of God. I've seen people try to get out and then all of a sudden right when they get their head up out of the pit, then bam! Then they're going to jail for something that's been done years ago and they're paying the consequences from years ago. It is difficult to get and disengage and disentangle from all of the dysfunction that can take place in a person's life. God never intended for you to live in that and keep acting the same way. That's what got you in trouble in the first place. Those are the consequences that you have to pay. God, is, his intention was to change things in your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I know you do because you're sitting on a church pew. There was no way out if it had not been for the Lord who pulled me out of where I was. I'd be a goner. I'd be dead. I, there would be no opportunity, no breath to breathe. I would have been assassinated and murdered by the hand of the enemy but God said no we can get you out of this there may be some things that you have to deal with but you just keep climbing keep climbing higher and don't give up because eventually that's going to be a testimony and the testimony is what's going to save you and that's the power that you're going to be able to say to the enemy I'm going to overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my Testimony. Anybody have a testimony here tonight? I see some of you standing and clapping. You got a testimony. And if it had not been for God, woo, <laughs> where would you be? Amen. Don't be a wedding crasher. You say, well, you're trying to drive away some of the crowd. I'm trying to tell you thanks for being here, but God's got better things for you. <laughs> God's got better things for you. Don't be a wedding crasher, but be a, be a person at the celebration. Change the garment. Recognize where you are. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. He put a new garment on me. What are you wearing? I'm wearing the garment of salvation. What were you wearing? <laughs> I was wearing the garment of immorality and unrighteousness. It was written all over me, but thanks be to God who gives the victory. I got a new set of clothes on because he's given me the garment of salvation. I want you to know the new birth experience is significant because it changes the garments that you 
you've been wearing. Praise God. When you go down in a watery grave in a name that's above every name, something happens there, and you don't come up wearing the same old clothes and garments, but you come up with a robe of righteousness, a garment of salvation. Anyone thankful for the Holy Ghost here tonight? Anyone thankful that your sins were forgiven and washed away? Anyone thankful that there is a power of God in your life? Hallelujah. Come on, let's praise him together. I thank you that you have tailored me. Woo, you have tailored me in a new garment. And I recognize where I am. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6. We are all as an unclean thing. Somebody, I heard you. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But God has given us new garments. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 3. Joshua, the high priest, was clothed with filthy garments. And he stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said unto him, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiments. I'm going to give you a change of clothes. I'm going to clothe you with righteousness. Praise God. You're going to have handmade, tailor, custom-made garments of righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not something you just buy off a shelf, but this is the master tailor that is putting something on you and in your life that is valuable and precious. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have done what? Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I've put on Jesus Christ. I'm dressed in Jesus Christ. My clothes are made up of Jesus Christ. Peace that passes understanding. That's what I'm wearing. I hope that maketh not ashamed. That's what I'm arrayed in. In. A joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. That's what I'm wearing. Praise God. As we stand together in the house of God tonight, the point that is made at the end of Matthew 22 and verse number 14 is, many are called, says Jesus, but few are chosen. I want to be one of the chosen that recognizes I need a change of garments. I've been invited to this feast, but I'm not going to be a wedding crasher, Brother Casey. I'm going to recognize I'm at the king's table, and therefore I need the right garment to wear. Praise God. I'm not ignorant of my surroundings or what God has richly done, but God has given me an opportunity to stand in his grace and his ability and his power. If anybody's thankful tonight, we need to lift up our voice right now and thank God and say, God, I thank you and I worship. 
worship you because you have taken that which was so terrible. Praise God. That garment that was so dirty and ragged and you've gave me an opportunity. Praise God to lift my hands in the sanctuary and to be clothed and in my right mind. It's as if you stepped out on the shore of the Gadarenes to the man that was in the tombs and before he left he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. I'm in my right mind tonight and my might right mind is to give him praise. My right mind is to magnify his name. My right mind is to say thank you for the invitation. But I'm not only interested in the invitation. What I'm interested in is being chosen. Praise God, being chosen. I think Jesus wants us to see in this cryptic parable several things. One, the gates of the kingdom are wide open. Salvation is not based on ethnicity, education, income bracket, popularity, ministry position, personality type, cultural savvy, athletic ability, or attractiveness. But it is for everybody. Amen. I think that's what he wants to see in this. But secondly, not only are the gates of the kingdom wide open, but we've got to enter through them. And those gates impose conditions on us. We must bear its fruits. Those are the conditions. Amen. There's conditions at being at the feast. You've got to have a wedding garment. You've got to have a wedding garment on. This is why the new birth message is so very powerful because those are the conditions imposed upon us. God gives to us a gift and you can't, you can't, there's nothing that you could do to purchase salvation, but you can respond to salvation. And the conditions imposed upon us is to respond to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Those are conditions that are imposed upon us that, that demand of us an action. We should bear its fruits. We should be as God's chosen ones. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 8 says, Put off, take off the old garment. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Lie not to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. There's been a, there's been a change of garments. But put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. Praise God. What does that new man look like? Put on, therefore, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Praise God. Put on these things. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. It's open to everybody. But when you step through the gates, there are some conditions that are imposed upon you. And the last thing that's one of the most important things is that the kingdom of God is supposed to be a feast and we should act like it. Anybody thankful that you could sit down at the table? Praise God, praise God. All these people that took church for granted, I guarantee you when they come back to the house of God, they're going to sit down at the table and they say, you know what, I failed to recognize the importance of sitting at the feast. 
that the king has called. Praise God. I want to be responsive to it. Hallelujah. I want to be responsive to it. I want to accept the invitation and walk in the realm of God's goodness and God's grace. Hallelujah. I'm thankful to sit at a table.